0: owe me a pizza. Mister, can you find my cats? And then they beat the shit out of him. You owe me a pizza. You owe me a pizza. You owe me a pizza. Hello everyone and welcome to Boss Store. Threshold beyond which games must face their final and toughest opponent, the critical gaming public. My name's Ross, and I'm here with my co-host Joey. And today we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Now, when the remake came out, I was not particularly interested in playing this game. Uh, I, it's not really in the genre of games I like to play. I was not a huge fan of Final Fantasy VII. Um, but you, Joey, uh, played it on your own, and I want to hear a little bit about how that how that experience went and why is this the cast we've chosen to do first?
1: So this is one of the most anticipated games, like, maybe ever, because they announced it over ten years ago. Now, I'm a big turn-based JRPG guy, so a lot of people who were like me were pretty much obsessed with Final Fantasy VII when they were younger. I only played it, like, three-ish years ago, like, maybe four years ago. Not too long ago. You know, I played other Final Fantasies, but I just, like, never got to seven because... I aesthetically like the kind of spritey Super Nintendo era a little bit more, so I was kind of slow on the Final Fantasy VII. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, they think it's their favorite game of all time. I think some of that might be you played it as a child, but I played it, you know, three, four years ago, you know, as like a 26-year-old or something, and I thought it was it was pretty good. It wasn't great, but I thought it was fine. You know, like, I liked it, I liked a lot of the stuff it did. So, you know, some of the stuff that people talk about with the old Final Fantasy being kind of outdated graphically, gameplay-wise, all that kind of stuff, I think is pretty true. Even though I like older games, I still think some, like, the chrono triggers of Final Fantasy 6's hold up a little bit better, personally. But I like the game, and when I saw the trailers, we like we had this trailer for a long time where it was uh, when he jumps off the train, he fights a bunch of guards, and then... It's actually jumping on the train. It doesn't really matter. But you see that first scene where he fights a bunch of Shinra lackeys, and then he jumps on the train, and you're like, look at these graphics. And I think that is a big appeal for a lot of people with Final Fantasy, is visually, they tend to be almost next-gen looking, right? Like, even when I wasn't a big fan of Final Fantasy, I would look at, like, I think it was like Final Fantasy Eleven or something, which is the MMO the graphics for it I would just be like this is so much better than what we had at the time.
0: Yeah, I've seen people playing uh, Final Fantasy XI um, back in the day around like uh, 2000, 2006, 2007. Um, I think so. It was on the PS2. It, it was, it was before I think it was a little bit before that time also but um, that was when I was playing World of Warcraft and I had another friend that was playing Final Fantasy XI and I was like this game looks so much better. You know, and every every Final Fantasy that is uh, that is the case. Yes, they're, they're well known for their uh, high
1: graphical fidelity. So, a lot of people talk about how the graphics don't hold up for the old game, and I honestly don't even think that's true. Like, a lot of people talk about the Popeye arm, like, character models like Cloud, because it's all early polygonal. <laughs> yeah, they, they all look like...
0: They, they, they look like they're carrying big cubes on their, on their arms, you know, they're smuggling cubes somehow.
1: Yeah, it actually didn't occur to me for a long time where they're, like, supposed to be, like, chibi style, and someone, like, pointed that out one day, and I was like, oh, I guess they are. I just can't tell, because it's so old. But like the the kind of the backdrops you have in that game, like when you go into the, um, the bombing run or whatever, the reactor, the reactor. Thank you. Whenever you go to the reactor, it actually looks really good.
0: Uh, yeah. The background art in that area, like like the actual area, looks fantastic. You know, even even if the characters are just kind of a pile of squares, the actual areas look like like almost like they like scanned some photos in there. They look so good.
1: Yeah. So I think the early game is actually really good at conveying the aesthetic. Like, uh, one thing that's not really in this game, because the game ends at Midgar, is the second you leave Midgar and you see the overworld Midgar, and how much different it looks in the rest of the world, I think, is still really impactful, even though the overworld looks like all old overworlds, which is just, like, seeing green, you know what I mean? Like, there's not much going on. So, even though I think the graphics still held up, it kind of seemed fun to just hang out in Final Fantasy VII with better graphics... And maybe less just archaic-y dumb bullshit. You know, like, auto-saving was nice. Uh, you know, I like... I think the combat's fine in 7, but, you know, some updated stuff. So I was relatively excited, except for they announced it was only going to be the Mythgar section, which is a five- or six-hour section of the original game for a... I'm going to... I don't remember exactly, but it's like a 30- or forty hour original game, maybe longer. And they basically just do the tutorial... So they only did the tutorial section, and it kind of felt like the kind of classic g- gaming thing we do now, which is, how can we milk our customer base as much as possible?
0: Yeah, that's what it did feel like. It felt, it felt like, I think everybody's first instinct was, like, is this a cash grab, you know? The idea of, well, we're going we're gonna to take what's supposed to be a remake and turn it into three separate full-priced games, that's, that seemed real bad.
1: Actually, I disagree. I think a lot of people were just like, Ooh, Final Fantasy VII. Gimme, 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 gimme. <laughs> more,
0: more Final Fantasy. Yeah. and
1: the you fools. You can make games longer and they be entertaining. But I also thought, like, for me personally, Midgar has some good early flavor. You know, good kind of establishing the world. But I honestly think it's one of the worst parts of the game. Like, when I was playing Midgar about three, four years ago, I was actually texting Ross a lot. And at one point he literally was like, you clearly don't enjoy this game. Just stop <laughs> playing.
0: Yeah. I was really like, uh, look, I know, it's, I know it's Final Fantasy VII, but it doesn't hold up.
1: Yeah. And I think after when I got to the overworld and started doing more of the game and, and, and in sync characters like Cid and characters that I like more, I had way more fun. I think a big problem with early Midgar is, again, just PS1 problems. Where you're in an environment and you literally can't find the exit because... The foreground, background stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense, and just little stuff like that, where you're just like, I'm getting in all these random monster encounters because I visually can't parse the path.
0: Yeah, that yeah, that was a quite a problem. Um, it, they had really good graphics, but they, it was really hard to see where you're supposed to be going because you were sort of navigating like a 3D space with a 2D visual camera. So everything, every, everything, you could you didn't know what you could walk on, what you could walk under, you know, things like that. But what I want to know. Why have we chosen this for our first cast? We've got a good history of Final Fantasy VII. What is it about the remake that's driven us to, to such lengths?
1: So, I had a very extreme opinion about it. Now, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but when I first went into the game, I was actually pretty excited. Like, I played the demo, demo was pretty fun, I was like really in a Final Fantasy move, I think I just played ten or one of the Final Fantasies, and I was just like, man, I really just want to play kind of like the pretty looking Final Fantasies. And I started the game and, you know, for a bit I was having little critiques and little things and it was literally around chapter 4 I was like, I think this is bad? And then from chapter 7 onwards I have never been angrier playing a video game. (laughs) Like, every and I don't know why I felt compelled to beat it. I think at the time the game was pretty recent out and everyone's like you'll never believe the crazy ending they do and I'm like now I have to see it so I can complain about it. So it became more of a chore. Like, another, I usually finish the games I start, but it kind of became a, well, now I just have to beat it. And I was literally taking, I work at DoorDash so I can just take days off, whatever. I took extra days off to just beat the game so I had to stop thinking about it. So I was doing these, like, 12-hour marathon sessions in literally just almost seems like overreacting but seizing with anger because I kept seeing what the game was doing which was slowing me down making me literally crawl through sections so they can make the game feel longer with no real narrative payoff and for me personally I don't need games to 100% focus on story I don't need game if you have a like for example Final Fantasy X which I beat right before this game I think is a very good combat section and some of the story elements are just unfathomably stupid. There's some really good story elements, but the story elements that are unfathomably stupid were really easy for me to let go because I enjoyed playing the game. Um, but I almost enjoyed nothing of playing the game from the second half onwards. There's stuff I like in the game, but I don't think I've ever disliked a game more than this game while playing it. Because if there's games where just the combat doesn't work or the whatever doesn't work, I just stop playing. It's just easy to let it go. But it became such a cultural touchstone. Everyone was raving about how good it was. I was trying to find a reason to like it. And I found more reasons to hate any other game than I've ever played in my entire life.
0: Yeah, so I, I played uh, Final Fantasy 7 about 15 years ago. Um, I don't remember most of it. I only played it once. Um, and I, did, I never had strong um, connections to it. But when I was looking up reviews of this game, almost every review started with the phrase... Final Fantasy VII was my favorite game of all time, or something similar, you know, one of my favorite games of all time. And then they would go on to praise almost every aspect of the remake with little to no criticism involved uh, anywhere, or or just the, the minorest touchstones of like, yeah, sometimes they make you shimmy through uh, through things, and that, that slows the game down a bit. But when I played this game, I was in hell almost every minute that I played it. It, it is one of the worst... Games I've ever played because partially because of the potential it has as, as a triple A title to be so much better. I've played games that are like harder to play. We played Super Star Wars last night, but I it's it's, it's hard to it's <laughs> an extremely bad game for the SNES, but it is hard to find a game that made me so very bored and angry uh, the entire time that I played it. So let's get let's get into why that is because this is a controversial opinion a lot of people not just a lot of people a lot of people think this game is incredible it's the it's the you know God's gift to remakes it's it's everything to them right everybody's just like oh this is everything I could have wanted from a remake and to me this is a textbook example uh, this should this should be the standard of what not to do with a remake
1: so I want to get into that. So I think there's a thing that with games, me and Ross talk about a lot specifically, and we will probably talk a lot about in this cast, where we have sort of games, I think, the modern AAA game is so much dominated by expectations. I think a lot of games come out with positive reviews before anyone's played it. Or like in the impression of the, not just, you know, people who write reviews, but in the impressions of players' minds. There are obviously exceptions. There's Everyone was hyped for No Man's Sky, for example. Uh, and then that came out and it just felt big and empty or whatever. But I think for Final Fantasy VII, and, you know, I'm, I don't have an opinion about Last of Us 2 yet. I haven't played it. But there's games like that where everyone's has this expectation and it dro- they're looking for... Re- it's confirmation bias. Yes. They're looking for reasons to like it or they're looking for reasons to hate it. And the other Final Fantasy games... Don't have that benefit of the doubt anymore. When fifteen came out, people kind of played it and, and you know think about it how they think about it because thirteen was so unpopular. So, I think one of the reasons they did this specifically is because they know they there's no way this game's not going to sell. There's almost nothing the game could be right. Tifa could literally be in a fucking loot box, and <laughs> people would be like, yeah, but you can get like. Tifa with a different outfit from Advent Children, so I, I gave them $300. Yeah, that's
0: $15.99, but you could do it.
1: Yeah. Um, so I think there's an expectation going in this game. And like we already said, so many people's favorite game of all time. Because for a lot of people, it's really the first JRPG they played. Especially kind of the generation who has a more disposable income, right? We're having all these 30-something-year-olds, late 25-year-olds, who can just buy a PS5 if they can get one, Um, and and play whatever game they want, and they're going to like things that remind them of when they were younger.
0: And that's a good point, because the original Final Fantasy VII came out in 1997, older than most people that will be playing the remake.
1: Yeah. So I just want to kind of make it clear that I came in with hopefully positive expectations. Even though I played first and complained a lot about it to Ross, Ross says Ross is very good at saying I need to come up with my own opinions. And you watch some reviews of people you like saying you thought it was good, right? Yeah,
0: I've done a lot of research on this game um, but before he played it. Yeah, before I played it, I've done I've done quite a bit more after I've played it. Um, and I had a very similar experience. Uh, I did I did play it, and you you did you did tell me you thought it was bad, but that doesn't mean I have to think it's bad. So I played it, and boy, I thought it was bad. <laughs>
1: So yeah, I just want to kind of you know set the stage and you know ma- make it clear. As I accused other people of having confirmation bias for just liking the game as a child, yeah. And I knew this game was probably a cash grab. Like, I like JRPGs. I like them than most, pe- more than most people. So I still wanted it to be good, and I don't want to have the same kind of you know accusation against myself that I gave to other people. Yeah,
0: and it's not like I hate everything in the game. It's not, yeah, it's, it's there. There are parts of the game that are fun, um, and that kind of makes it worse. Because there are parts of the game that are very fun that are that are like well crafted, and then most of the game is just kind of a trudge through yeah. drudgery.
1: So, I kind of want to talk about like chapter one because a lot of people have also just played the demo before they played the game, and that is you know the first chapter the the first chapter of the game in the demo are the same thing. Yeah, the demo it, just It's kind of sold the, me to buy the game. The demo just goes to the first reactor, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, what did you actually think of the beginning of the game? Because you played it more recently, it, for specifically just the opening. For you know the f- right. first chapter and, and how that all felt.
0: Right, I started playing the game as a, a critical experience. I wanted to I wanted to understand what people were saying and why uh, your opinions were so different from everything that I saw online. So the the first the the first chapter it it wasn't bad really. Um, you you go through the reactor and it's pretty dull. It's not very interesting to go through the reactor. Uh, all the areas kind of look the same. Um, nothing. Nothing particularly interesting. There's no there's no good enemies or anything. I think there's that you meet your first like a uh, buzzsaw, big big robot enemy, and that was kind of fun, kind of a mini boss enemy at the time. And then you fight the scorpion, and the scorpion um, was a holdover from the from the first game, but it fought very differently. And you had to it, it was really just to teach you like the combat systems and how to switch between people. And I thought it was it was a bit difficult to understand. I don't think I did the fight very well. Um, I'd certainly do it much better by the end of the game, but. Overall, it wasn't bad. The combat system was fun, except for, I, I gotta mention this, uh, the the goddamn tutorial messages. Right at the beginning, I literally walk up to a thing, and on my screen it pops up with a with a, a button indicator that says press triangle. And then a tutorial pops up that tells me to press triangle when I see an indicator that tells me to press triangle. So I did that.
1: But there's a level of tutorial that is obviously helpful. You know, not everyone's played RPGs before, but so much of the tutorials were just literally telling you things that were on the screen, and it's like literally the people who are playing this game for the most part are people who have been playing games since 1997 <laughs> or around-ish that time. And I just want them to assume that I've played a single game in my life. Like, it feels like a minor complaint, but one of the most iconic parts to a lot of people for Final Fantasy VII is that opening where you jump off a train and you're just cloud and you're just going at it, and you're in a bombing mission, and it's, you know, the in race thing. You're just, you're just in the middle of the action. Um, and the fact that they're constantly trying to do this, like, high-paced, you know, jumping over the turn tiles, whatever, to go f- do this bombing run, and they're like treasure chest get opened by pressing the button that they're opened in every game you've ever played in your life
0: <laughs> yeah that that's a good point this is this is the the first instance of like bad pacing you jump off the train and they're like freeze time here's the tutorial message and you're like oh, okay now i know how to uh swing my sword and you start swinging your sword and they're like freeze time you know you can swing your sword in other ways and you're like okay cool you know and then you beat the bad guys and you walk through a gate and they're like freeze time there's a chest right here. You're gonna to want to hit the button that's indicated when you walk up and look at the chest. And you're like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. I ju- can I move on? And they're like, yeah, you can move on. And you 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 walk on. And they're like, they're like, freeze time. Did you know you could sprint if you hit this button? You're like, yeah, I no, I've been doing that already. You know, and they just do that so much for the first bit. So all of the momentum that you have is just. Defeated almost instantly because they're just—they're just like, oh, here's a bunch of tutorial messages. And I know that seems like petty to, to complain about tutorials, but it is a it is a thematic problem throughout the game. Every time something should be happening, the game will stop you and make you do something else to slow you down.
1: Yeah, so this seems again like we already said, you know, kind kind of a petty complaint, um, but I. One of the things that's nice about I think games, uh, story-based games, is the less hand-holdy they are, the more they can let you feel the flavor of what you're doing, and they do have you know the voice acting early on I think is really good. Like, but whenever Jesse Biggs or Wedge talk, I think they're all incredible voices, and that's kind of what you're expecting from this remake, right? Which are the we probably know, but the three members of Avalanche who aren't in your party, in the original game they're just kind of like side one characters, but you kind of meet them and you get this feel of you know, in a collective band of eco-terrorists. And it, that intro does kind of succeed. Like, I think this is one of the initial things that made me think, this game might be good, because, you know, as you progress through it, there's just little, you know, side talks and all that stuff. So, pettiness aside, I still think that the opening still has something that it adds to the game that the original didn't. So when you first start off in the bombing run, the the Jesse Biggs and Wedge of it all, the people who just have three or four lines in the original game, I feel like are actually characterized. And I think that's one of the most interesting parts of all of Midgar, is Avalanche. Not just who they are, but also what Avalanche means to kind of our character building. Because they are eco-terrorists. You're going to blow up a plant. And when the game starts the first time you play it originally, you the audience are kind of like, oh, um, I guess we're good you know. I mean, we're fighting against, you know, a corporate, you know, a corporate entity that tends to, you know, especially in the 90s, were commonly villains, but at the same time, you're blowing up a plant. Yeah. (laughs) It really makes you consider what you're doing.
0: Yeah. At the same time, um, our opinions of, you know, large corporations and terrorism have changed dramatically since 1997.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That is a good point.
0: But at the the same time, you know, we, we... we tend to think uh, Avalanche are the good guys in this, situa- in this situation, at least to some degree.
1: And it's, you know, I think a little bit is because, and I think Big's, uh, Wedge, Jesse's voice acting and character models help contribute to that because they just seem like nice guys. Yeah, they're just like, fun. They're just yeah, hanging out. Wedge's voice from, by Badger from Breaking Bad, an objectively goofy character. Exactly. And it's kind of hard to like see, you know, you know, over the top fat comedy guy as being, you know, ill-hearted. So I think the intro kind of, gives you that first initial impression that I think is really interesting, where you have to contrast the characters with what they're doing. So, you know, I kind of like that intro, and it's, you know, it it it, it is very, very tutorial-y, because you're kind of just fighting three guys in a combat system you're learning, you have a little cutscene with Wedge and Biggs and Barrett, and then you just keep moving on until you get the boss fight.
0: Right, and I was willing to forgive the, the tutorial messages. Like, I, I thought it was egregious, but at the same time, it wasn't... I mean, it's not like that killed the experience for me. I'm like, ah, as soon as these are done, you know, the game will open up and be better. Yeah. But then we get to the end of the bombing run. We've successfully bombed the plant and there, the explosion was bigger than expected and has done a bunch of damage to uh, the streets outside. And so we then have to walk through the streets uh, with all the people who, every time you get near them, say the same one line over and over again, constantly into your ears. And that's... I know it's supposed to be world building, but it's actually frustrating because everybody's talking to you nonstop uh, to the point where you can't understand anything they are saying. And then I have to, I have to say this, a tutorial message pops up telling me how to use stairs. They're like, Hey, there's stairs. You can use them to elevate your position. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's just, there's not like a button to use stairs. You just Walk up them. It's the joystick. Somehow there wasn't a tutorial on ladders. We made a lot of jokes about that. Every time every time I'd fail to get onto a ladder, I'd be like, oh, they didn't
1: teach me about this one. And, but also, after there's a tutorial about stairs, there's one guy you can talk to who isn't just talking in the void. You can actually select him. And then he says, if you want to go up higher, use the stairs. <laughs> it's the and, same spot. And you're like, so you literally have two messages to explain stairs. But like... There's way more complicated stuff later in the game that they don't explain to you at all. And
0: what happens in these streets? You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be on the run from Shinra. You've just, you've just bombed a, a place. You're supposed to be seeing the consequences of your actions, right? You're supposed to be questioning what you're going to be doing. That's what's narratively happening. You're questioning the things you've just done and your place in this world. But instead, you've got 8,000 NPCs just all spouting one-liners at you, just being like, Ah, my home! Ah, I'm hurt! Ah, there's stairs over there! And then you, like, climb a ladder that takes you to, like, the roof, and then you go across the roof and, like, climb down the other side, and all that's there is a chest, and you're like, mm, this is just taking a long time to run away. After a while, you've been in here for, like, ten minutes, and you haven't run away yet. And it's like, oh what? This is weird. We're moving really slow, and get- I can't concentrate on what's going on.
1: And again, that's what's expected, you know? Like... Which I, I don't want to quite fault the game at this point yet for that, where it's like okay, you are making this section longer. You're probably gonna have to fight more than four enemies before Cloud gets back to uh, Avalanche. But it it kind of I feel like ruins again the pacing of the whole game. So the bombing run is not that long. You know, there's not that much stuff going on. But then right when when you're done, and you know, there's a long boss fight. But I don't mind a long boss fight. It's kind of fun, and it's, again, much better than the original game.
0: Yeah, I actually kind of like the boss fight there.
1: Because early boss fights in all turn-based RPGs are kind of like, okay, you're going to fight this boss fight. You're probably going to want to mostly use the attack button, you don't have that many abilities yet. Yeah. And so they tend to, you know, the early game boss fights in in turn-based tend to be, you know, problematic, whereas the boss fight for this actually, like, doesn't hold your hand. You have to figure it out, and it's enjoyable, right? But right after you fight a boss fight that doesn't take your intelligence for granted, they think you don't know how to use stairs. Yeah. If you could not, if you could beat that boss fight and you couldn't use stairs, that's ridiculous. And then you just are dragged across the streets forever and ever and ever. And again, I don't want to super harp on saying, well, anything long in this game is bad, but in the original game, uh, Cloud basically just offers them a distraction, jumps on a train, and comes back to the group. And you kind of feel this... You feel, you get why Cloud is special, right? Yeah, Cloud somersaults into that train. Yeah, like he's a hired mercenary, right? And they need him. I mean, maybe they don't need need him, but he's making their job a lot easier because other than Barrett, most of these Avalanche people are not particularly good fighters, it seems, you know? They have other skills, you know, like Biggs is hacking the door. I really still don't understand Wedge's point. Chess. He really wants to have sex with cloud. I also don't understand her, oh, she makes explosives, she makes the bombs that, yeah she makes the bombs that make you do the bad things so so you know it's nice to have someone who can you know actually fight, but you kind of like lose the sense of avalanche because you're just fighting wave after wave after wave of soldier, and at this point you're kind of like, why weren't these in the plant right <laughs> like what <laughs> was what like did they not know like I fought a giant robot that there should be more people here to stop me or whatever. And it just feels like, you know, combat for combat's sake. But that's fine. Uh, I Again, I'm not, like, too harping on the game at this point. I'm just starting to feel like, well, this might be what this whole game is like. It's just, well, this one thing that was three hallways in the original game is going to be 15 hallways. And you have to climb up and down ladders just to kind of find a single treasure chest and then go back to fighting. Yeah, just to justify padding it out. So early in the game, you see a lot of Problems that might pop up later, but again, it's early in the game, you know, your oppressions are pretty limited. You have girl who wants to have sex with Cloud too much. You have kind of long, kind of long, pointless sections. You have pacing problems. Um, you have, you're walking through the streets and you flash to seeing Sephiroth in your head or real life. It's not clear. Yeah, so Sephiroth's there too. We're not sure why. And it's
0: not, they don't tell you who he is, so if you didn't. I mean, it's weird to think of a person who doesn't know who Sephiroth is, but, like, they're out there. People people don't always know who Sephiroth
1: is. So, like, it's weird that they don't tell you. I think a lot of people, even if they recognize Sephiroth from other games or whatever, or now Smash Brothers, it doesn't mean they understand who who he is as a character. Just He just sees them and shakes his head all that nonsense, and it's just like, okay, I get that we're doing this, but also they did this in the original game and it wasn't fun there either. And now we kind of have our first story point that I think is kind of, you know, interesting in both games and kind of does the Final Fantasy Seven thing that I think Final Fantasy 7 original does really well, which is go from, I'm bombing a reactor, to here's a girl handing out flowers. Uh, but one fun thing I think about the original Final Fantasy the Final Fantasy 7 is you constantly are switching the sorts of things you're doing. Like, you go from doing a bombing run to meeting a flower girl to doing mini-games at Dave & Buster's to just <laughs> be, just having a goofy ult And that's, a you know, I think a Final Fantasy staple is you can literally, like, watch someone die and they'll be like, you want to write a chocobo? They're goofy. You know? Like, it's just... It, it's fun in the middle of seriousness. And I think one of the um, really iconic scenes, again, is the first time you see Aerith, who is just handing out flowers to random people. And you kind of... It's, it's such a sharp change because you go from, we live in this... Horrible, like steampunk city that it's you know, it's people are clearly unhappy here, right? There's tons of poor people, it's completely run by an evil corporation, and there's just some girl handing out flowers, which is you know, it's sweet and nice, and they play the heiress theme and it's enjoyable, right? But they change it in this game in a weird, peculiar way. So, we played the original game recently to refresh our memory, and I think that scene is actually. I think one of the most iconic scenes in the whole game, uh, because you the, the foreground and the background kind of shows like how the city is like gross and dirty and not a good place to live, and there's just this you know shining light in the middle of innocence who just gives a flower to the aggressively tough guy, and it's you know it establishes kind of you know the two sides of Cloud right where he's trying to look tough but he's also like taking a flower from some random right. girl you know. But what they do instead is she's surrounded by ghosts.
0: Yeah, she's surrounded by ghosts in this one. And then Cloud has to go in and, I guess, chase off the ghosts. And then uh, she's like, oh, wow, thanks for helping me. Do you want this flower? And Cloud's like, no. And that's, you're like, why why are you doing that, Cloud? Because at this point, we also have no backstory on Cloud, so we don't really know. Like, who he is as a person. He's been entirely quiet and gruff the whole time. But you don't know why. And you still don't know why. And he's just kind of rude to Aerith. And that's it. She gives you a flower. And that's your characterization for your main character. He's, he's just kind of rude. And
1: again, in the original game, you have a choice. You can say no or take the flower. Because that's kind of how role-playing games work. Is they give you two options yeah. that, you know, reflect your personality. And you kind of pick the personality of your character. This game has choices, but it's basically like no and fuck off. Exactly. <laughs> so again, pretty pointless complaints, not a big deal, but we eventually get to a 7-7 bar with our team Avalanche. So this is the kind of the part of the game that you think would be good for a remake, right? You're in the first kind of area, it's not like a dungeon, right? You're you're just in a place. And we have nine to flesh out the characters. We've seen a little bit of Jesse and Biggs, we've seen a little bit of Barrett, we've seen a little bit of Cloud, and you know, they all they all have good voice acting, good models. This is, the, I think, a part of the game, you know, that I'm excited about. Now, you end up just doing very pointless side quests for a bit. But that's, whatever, that's going to happen in video games.
0: Yeah, they're pretty... The side quests aren't interesting in, in this section. It's like, go here, kill rats. But you're like, whatever, they're early game side quests. I guess I'll do it. It's not fun, but yeah. I'm not, at this point, I'm not going to fault the game for it.
1: Yeah, you get to see Tifa for the first time, which is a big hype for... Half more than half the people playing and <laughs> really excited about that even though she has absolutely no discerning personality traits. She's got two specific traits. Yeah. It's her boobs. So whatever. I mean, so, I mean, literally one of the side quests is just find cats and the whole world is full of NPC cats but those are the cats that don't matter.
0: Yeah, not those cats. You gotta find specific cats. And then the cats you find like run away from you and you're like, uh, did I... F- did I find the cat? But then when you go back to the the person I think as a kid, you go back to the kid and they're like, You found my cats and you're like, Oh I guess I Okay. That's the actual that
1: The actual best part is when you get to the third cat and just runs away, Cloud just goes, This sucks <laughs> And you're like, Okay, the game kinda knows what they're doing. Yeah, you're like,
0: <laughs> Okay, you know, I guess if you're gonna make a meta contextual remark on how bad your side quest is, does it make your side quest not bad? Yeah. That's a different topic.
1: Yeah. So I think again, this is where it's it's really hard to get focused on the feeling of the game this early in the game. But then you have your first kind of what I would think would be what the game has a lot of at the time, which is a side quest focused on characters that wasn't in the original game. Because right now pretty much everything has been in the original game. Side quests were in the original game, but whatever, they're obviously gonna add that. You go on a mesh, a mission with specifically Biggs, Wedge, and Jesse. Which are interesting because Avalanche, I think, is overwhelmingly the most interesting part of this game in the original game. And you kind of want to get a feel for what they are beyond just people who work for an avalanche.
0: Right. And this quest is... is the catalyst for this quest is that Jesse felt bad about destroying part of the city with her bomb. She was like, Oh, I made my bomb too big. I did it real bad. So I want to go raid Shinra for like better supplies and I'll make a proper bomb next time for the next reactor. And you're like, Oh, that's interesting. Like, like not only... Did is Je- not only does Jesse have like lines this time in this game, but like she has a personality she's like, oh I felt bad about the thing I did you know about the terrorism I committed and like that's interesting.
1: Yeah exactly. And now albeit I think Jesse has you know an interesting model in a, in, a, in a good voice actor, but also most of everything she said has been thirst for cloud.
0: yeah most of everything she has said or will say is hitting on cloud to some degree.
1: Yeah, but you can kind of, you know, it's at least, at least for her it just feels like, okay, big tough guy shows up in their thing and she's just being playfully flirtatious. How far could this realistically go? Oh, you stupid child. Yeah, <laughs> stupid child. And you big, you know, I really like Biggs and Wedge's voice. I think they look really great. You know, I'm, I'm excited to go on this quest. So the first thing you do is go on a really long Horrible motorcycle minigame.
0: Yep. You you go down the streets on your motorcycle, and other motorcycles ride past you, and then slowly you catch
1: up to them, and then you can hit them with your sword.
0: And you do this for, like, ten straight minutes.
1: Yeah. And there's really no character development or anything. Obviously, Jessie's behind you, clinging desperately to uh, her new boy toy. Yeah. Uh, and Biggs and are there, seemingly not helping, but whatever that happens in a lot of these sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, and then also, a just random f- freaking Yu-Gi-Oh villain shows up, <laughs> literally he's just on his bike and someone passes and he's like, my time to shine, and you're like, who the fuck are you? And then he's just like, giggling as he does ridiculous stuff and you fight it incredibly easy. He's just doing, he's doing
0: motorcycle gymnastics while fighting you, and you're like, I don't know who you are or why you're doing this and he's like you won't ever know and rides off into the sunset.
1: You're like, okay, we're going to maybe there's going to be more Bigson and Jesse stuff and you experience weird different bosses there. He'll surely show up again. Uh but moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so you go up to top of Midgar. Another thing I'm actually excited about because so far you've been in the slums and they just look like dirt. Maybe the slums would look better at some point, but it's just it's just dirty hovels and nothing's really there. I kind of want to see top side of the plate because there's lots of visual stuff you can do with the impressive graphics of the game. It looks exactly like 1950s America and it's one block of suburban houses and there's really nothing of yeah, interest. Yeah,
0: it's You can't go anywhere or do anything and every house looks exactly like every other house. And then you go to Jesse's house and Jesse's like, uh, Cloud, you wait outside. And then when we go in and have pizza, you sneak in the back and steal my dad's key card because my dad works for Shinra. And you go, you do that, you wait outside, and then they go in and have pizza, and you go to, to Jesse's dad's room, and you have to do it real quiet so nobody hears you, right? But her dad's, like, dying in his bed, and you have to, you, you take his key card, and you're like, I wonder, I wonder what all this means. Like, what, why are we seeing, like, Jesse's sickly dad and stuff like that?
1: No reason. Yeah, I'll never come up
0: again. That won't ever come up again. So then you go to Shinra. Uh, Cloud doesn't get pizza. What? This is a critical plot point. Cloud does not get pizza.
1: Yeah, and Wedge he really likes pizza because he's the fat one. <laughs> Wedge gets a lot of pizza. He wants more. So I, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, plot and order, but I think there's a couple of like this is when I feel like the uh, complaints crystallize because there's a couple of things. They're like, okay, Jesse, they made, gave Jesse a backstory. She has a sick father, and you find out from stuff on the ground that she wanted to be a dancer.
0: And but that's, that's it. it.
1: There's no. There's nothing interesting about that, right? Like, So what's interesting, not that she's thirsty, but not that she wants to be a dancer, is she feels bad about the thing they're doing, which is morally ambiguous. That is interesting to me, and I think most people who in partake in narratives.
0: Yeah. Saying Jessie wanted to be a dancer is not a character. It is It is just a fact. And it doesn't come
1: Jessie. up in any tangible way.
0: It never comes up again. You just find out, oh, she wanted to be a dancer. She has a sickly dad. That's it. That's not characterization. That's just... this
1: backstory. At it, best. Because it doesn't influence her actions. Not even. Well, the, the, one of the other complaints that is, you know, getting a little ahead of the section is you're like, oh, we're doing a side quest with these people. They're going to keep developing. Maybe there'll be a Biggs chapter. Maybe... No, there's this exactly one Jessie chapter. And the all of the character development she possibly gets is she wanted to be a dancer and her dad is sick, but it never influences her actions anyways The only thing that influences her actions is how much she wants to Bone Cloud. Exactly. The whole, whole <laughs> motivation for all of her lines, it seems, is purely about that. And... This is this is
0: what what gets me about this game is I hear everybody talk about how like oh the, how how well they characterized Avalanche how they gave him like s- such good backstories and such interesting characters and stuff but this is it this is the most we ever get out of any of them Biggs is never uh, developed beyond this point Wedge never changes he's always just the he's fat, just fat the, he's just the fat guy right um, Jesse is always just thirsty. You never get any more fe- you, you never get to hear more about her feeling bad about the, uh, about her bombing. you She mentions how that she feels bad that she kills people with explosives later. but it, again, there's no consequences to these uh, to these moments that there's no impact on the story or, or on her character. She just says she feels bad about something, and that's it. There is no change that uh, that comes from these things. And this is a run. This is another running problem with the game. Is every time you they th- bring up a philosophically interesting topic, they do not develop it past that moment.
1: Yeah, like not a not a line later. Because the only thing to possibly get out of the dad is that's her motivation for uh, joining Avalanche, and you would think, well, at least that can be expressed. At least you can see. Oh, he got sick... From, because I think it says somewhere in there. He got sick from working in the Mac- Mako factory. Yeah. Like, there's... Th- you There's something that could be interesting about that. But she's 100% playful. Right? Like, her, she just doesn't seem to care except for the one time she says, I should get a less, you know, big explosive. Another plot point that happens and then never develops again. Um, yeah.
0: And uh, that, that's all we hear about it. And so... When people say that they characterized Avalanche so well, like they give them, they give them interesting um, things. I I think people see the potential that Avalanche has in this game, and then they extrapolate from there what Avalanche should have been in this game. But what I see is that they gave Avalanche more lines, and that's it. Avalanche is not like every member of Avalanche is not a more characterized version of themselves. Than they were in Final Fantasy 7. They
1: just have more lines to say. I also think they're overwhelmingly, for the uh, yeah overwhelmingly the best characters in the remake. And they're still just so you know, fleeting and passing. Yeah, by. they're incredibly one dimensional and flat. Um, it, like Wet for example. He has two things. He's fat and he likes cats. I'm like that is it. Yeah, that is they. He, he's such a likable voice. He's so you know. But every single thing. Is just a very lazy joke about his weight and him liking cats. So you feel worse about bad things that happen to him, I guess, because he's just nice. Yeah, he's just a nice guy. But yeah. So and again, I think a lot of people, like what Ross was saying, were very excited about. Oh, they developed Avalanche more. What a genius thing! People were saying that they did when it's literally the bare minimum of when you expand a six-hour game to forty hours. They better give avalanche your personality, <laughs> because what the fuck else are you doing with this time? Yeah. And then you go on to an incredibly pointless side quest that's also not that interesting, because when you get to the place to steal the explosives, Cloud fights an arena full of guys, and that's the whole mission. Yeah. You just keep fighting people until Jesse's like, I got the explosives, let's go. And like, they didn't even make the area. They just made a big open space for you to fight, albeit. Fighting's pretty fun. Yeah, fighting is like, fun in this game. I like the combat. It's a pretty good combat section. Yeah. So it's it's not like you
0: it's not like you hate the the motions you have to go through, but you just get to the end and you're like, what was all
1: this? Well, you hate half of them because the first half is a motorcycle section oh, well, where, where you're not having fun. Then you fight a bunch of people, and that's end of mission. Now there's a couple of things I just want to gloss by with this mission that I think are hyper egregious. So right before you go in to fight a bunch of people they're like cloud give us the signal and then you make the diversion so Jesse can get in and out cloud looks at this guy and then has a flashback to Tifa as a child where they're in Nibelheim yeah. and they talk about you know it's, you know it's a kind of a cute scene right where that he talks about when he gets older he'll like basically protect her where she makes him promise to yep. do it it's weird but it's in the original game but it's in the original game when you're talking to Tifa the, now the impression i feel like i get is every time they do something good, they execute it wrong. Instead of having it happen when you're doing a bunch of side quests with Tifa, where any sane human being would put it, they do it when you're doing side quests with Jesse, which makes Cloud come off as incredibly uninterested <laughs> in these people. He's, like, helping these people out, he's like, I like Tifa better. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just so out of the frickin' blue. And it... Uh, That could be a good seat because it looks pretty, it's interesting, and actually has Cloud the first time, it's the first bit of character development, where basically Cloud is like, I do like to help people. I don't want to just help myself. That is the thing that triggers him to going back to actually help Avalanche on the second bombing run. But for this one, he only does it for payment, right? And you don't, he seems so uninterested in all of these people's plights, to the point that he's daydreaming about someone else as they're in the middle of a very important mission. Yeah, exactly.
0: And this, you know, this is uh, as much characterization As we've got from Cloud is like nothing has happened. He keeps having flashbacks and stuff, but he doesn't. He hasn't changed or grown in any way. He's just he's just continually gruff and rude, and that's it. That's his whole character so far. Uh, every interaction is just is just like hmm, no, you know, that's yeah. it. Uh, or, or, or just, like, somebody talks to him and he's just like, I'll do it for money.
1: Though, it's like, you know what's cool? Being an edgelord. Yeah. And, like, it's just, like, it's just so, um, like, he's too cool for school. Yeah, and it's just like, and I get that the flavor of Cloud at the end of this game is supposed to be, he's trying to act tough, but he's dorky. Yeah. But, like, he just kind of comes off as unlikable. And it's really hard to put yourself
0: in his shoes. Yeah, because he's not dorky in this yeah. in this game. He's just... He's just... Mean. You know? Yeah, and
1: everyone... Like, the characters are... The other characters have good voice acting. They seem fun. They seem like... The, that feeling that you get from specifically Japanese RPGs, which is, aren't we all just friends? Like, yeah. it's cheesy, but it's fun. But you don't feel like that, because you're just kind of a dick to everyone for no good reason. Yeah, When... Everyone, like, because that, that, that is a contrast, I think, to Avalanche, is they're, they're a group of friends, but they're also eco-terrorists, you know? <laughs> like, you you have to kind of weigh those sorts of things. Um, probably getting too in, 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 into the weeds this early, but they're two really important, man, I want to like Jesse, but do they really have to go this far? Jesse is so thirsty to the point that she does two things that I cannot get over. When you get to the top side there's a button and you have to hold the triangle button to open it. It's like a lever that opens the door. She's like, Cloud, you do it. Which again, like, just open the fucking door game. Right. just do it. And then, as you hold it and you open it she looks at Cloud and says you're so strong. <laughs> you're know, like, you could just any, like, there's a part where you lift a rock off her foot. Yeah. Like, maybe that's the time to put that line that also shouldn't be in here because we have to put our terrorist lady as a fucking damsel in distress as much as we possibly can. And then when you're escaping back to the slums, uh, you use parachutes Yeah. Uh, to fly down, which is supposed to be a fun, goofy scene. But Biggs is strapped to Jesse, which is shocking. She's not strapped to Cloud. Yeah, we don't know what happened there. And the fat guy strapped to Cloud to get some cheap
0: laughs. Um, it's, it's funny because they're one's fat and they're both men. Yeah,
1: and then they're up there. She's like, "Oh, before I jump, let me tell you something." And then shuffles on a tiny pole. And Biggs is like, "Holy fucking shit! You're gonna get <laughs> us murdered. Going to die." And then like, I don't even remember what she whispers, but it's not important. And you're like. I can hear you from a foot away, <laughs> right? She's literally as close to what me and Ross are talking, which is like six, she was less than COVID distance apart. <laughs> and she's going to risk their life to just like be playful. And it's like, I know it's supposed to be fun or whatever, but it's just so not fun when everything we've seen from Cloud is him being an edgelord and everyone just being like, he's so dreamy. No, oh, yeah. I hate it. So moving forward, they finish uh, the, what we call Jesse's Quest. Um, Jesse's Quest. Jesse's Quest. So we finish Jesse's Quest. And we're kind of getting back into the, you know, the main plot of the original game, which is they go on a second bombing run. Now, if you're a really uh, studious, original Final Fantasy VII player, which uh, way too many people are, they'll remember that he already agreed to go on this bombing run. But right now they're going to talking about how Tifa and Jesse are going to go. And you're like, "Well, how are they going to do this? Like how is he going to be convinced?"
0: Yeah, Barrett's like Barrett's like clouds not coming.
1: Yeah. And there's a scene where they're all kind of eating and you could talk to the people, but they don't let you even though that would be fun. Yeah, it,
0: it's a it's a moment everybody's like like just sitting at tables eating and having fun together and just like hanging out and you're like, "Oh, it's a break in the action." So you're like, "Oh, this is a good time I can I can talk to people and get a little character out of them." No, you can't. Yeah, everyone's like, this is a
1: private avalanche yeah, thing. Please leave, player. And like, even if they had that scene, she's like, let me be fucking Tifa or Jesse or Barrett and just enjoy kind of the levity of the game. But that's not that important. It's just, well, how are we getting from plot A to plot B? And if you are really studious and also understand the creator of this game, Namor's thinking, you might have pieced together what was happening because you go to sleep. And you wake up, and ghosts are everywhere again.
0: Dun-dun-dun. And this is
1: the second time you've seen ghosts. Now, for me personally, I remember playing this being like, Ghost word everywhere in the first game, right? <laughs> Am I forgetting ghost being everywhere? <laughs> I think I remember ghost being everywhere. Um, but you fight these... I, in my opinion, and inc- I, I like the combat, but fuck, I hate these fights. It's just literally hacking and slashing until they die. It's the equivalent of just pressing the attack button in an RPG, uh, to, to just stop the ghosts from existing, and you don't know why they're happening. And oh no, Jesse broke her ankle, and then you have to go.
0: Yep, and that's it. So you're like, you're like, so ghosts showed up, and we killed them all. But Jesse broke her ankle, and now we're going on the bombing
1: run, just like the first game. So. I want to bring up at least what the ghosts are now, which, again, if you played the game, you know. Uh, But I think if they keep coming up, it's better to kind of talk about, you know, to understand what their purpose was. They literally only exist to keep this game from not being the original Final Fantasy. Every time the plot might deviate, ghosts show up. So there was a little difference between me and Ross's run where I didn't know this until near the end of the game. And Ross did know this, because when I played this game, I had to complain about the ghost. So when you, especially playing it a second time and seeing why the ghosts show up, first I was like, this is unnecessary and I don't care. But now it's kind of like actively insane that a ghost just showed up to break break Jesse's ankles, so you can, which is like, what, is, like, what? Like how is fate, like, this is a very active version of God. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, well see, I find the ghosts, uh really interesting, right? And not in a good way. Um, because they are a metacontextual plot device, right? They, they, in many ways, like, they are the fourth wall. But they mean nothing to the characters. Like, the characters literally never have a conversation about the ghosts. Because what could they say? They just, it'd be Barrett like, hey, did did ghosts just show up? And everybody's gotta be like, I guess. I I don't know what that was about. And then they have to move on with their lives right which they don't ever say like no one ever No no know. they never they never even go that far they're just like they just move on like the instant the ghosts are gone they're like let's not ever discuss that and so the ghosts exist in this weird in this weird like third realm they're not quite they're not quite like outside the game cuz they they're physically in there but they mean nothing to the characters they only mean things specifically to plot right and i don't mean um like, like, what's interesting is what does it mean to be a plot point, right? The ghosts don't care it, when you get into a battle if you beat the battle in a specific way. They only care if you beat the battle. They don't care that um, Barrett said Cloud shouldn't be, uh, or won't be going on the bombing run. They only care that Cloud has to go on the bombing run. Because these are plot points, right? But plot doesn't exist in a real world. Um, it's just, you know... We we live our lives through a series of events. They're not they're not plot points in a story that's being told. So these ghosts represent the story itself and the way that Namora is trying to uh, manhandle it and and trying to change it. Uh, and it just puts them in a very weird position. And the reason I'm I'm going so long on this is because it takes it takes you out of the game when you see these ghosts. They are. Visual reminders that you are playing a game, specifically that you are playing a remake of another game, and you get taken out of the world because these ghosts don't really exist in the world because they mean nothing to anybody that you're playing. So you're just like, every time they show up, you're just like, oh right, I'm I'm playing a game now,
1: and it just it there's no reason to break immersion like that. Yeah. Also, like you just think more like you have all these freaking NPCs saying nothing, like you pass people in the street, they say, like, the same eight lines, and not one person is like, man, a bunch of fucking ghosts were in this town. Man, there's a lot of ghosts today. And, like, again, the characters don't. Like, so far, the times we've seen the ghost were a time where they were invisible for some reason to everyone but Ares. but then Ares touches Cloud, so they're non invisible, and then Tifa wakes you up because ghosts are everywhere, so she can see them, and Barret can clearly see them, but also, they never acknowledge, like, that was weird. Yeah, nobody's ever
0: like, that it was a weird one. It,
1: is weird. And so it just feels so fucking shoehorned in. Yeah. Uh, and again, for no purpose, which I will definitely talk about ghosts later because, God, they make you think about ghosts a fucking they lot. never stop. And the, also the, what the ghosts start doing becomes incredibly specific at some point. Yeah. So these ghosts literally make the game to be the original game, except for everything that they skip from the original game was actually good and I wish it was in the game. Like, for example when you decide to go in the second bombing run, you go down the little elevator that is a pinball machine, <laughs> yeah. which is cool flavor. It is super and, cool. And you see, you see their layer and it's actually the time, the original game flushes out avalanche, like Barrett punches Bigs, and he hits the foreground and yeah. stuff. Like it's actually a really fun scene, but the ghosts don't fucking show you the scenes you want to see. Your only avalanche develop is everyone saying, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You've, Rude piece of shit. Except for we all love you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but that's exactly my point, right? Is the is the ghosts don't care about the inconsequential plot stuff. They don't care if you go down into the into the avalanche layer. They only care that you go on the bombing run because it's plot related, you know. So it's very weird for them to to be like simultaneously arbiters of fate and arbiters of plot because I think those are two different concepts.
1: And Namura doesn't seem to recognize that. So we start our second bombing run. And again, it has the same problem, which at this point, I don't want to hold too much against the game, which is dungeon padding, right? There's a whole extra chapter before you get to the bombing run of just like going in the tunnels to get there and nothing plot happens except for every once in a while they flash to Heidegger being like, who is evil, evil villain, yeah. who just, just watching them with the cameras going, ha, 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 and like, that's it. Yeah. You there Grunt. Kill them or I'll kill you. Ha 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 ha. And that's all Heidegger's personality. I've described him perfectly. It's also distracting to me because he's voiced by Bender. I know. So it's just weird to flash to Bender just being like, like clacking his fingers and then (laughs) laughing at the villains. Like, it's not that bad. Other games do crap like that all the time. But more or less, it's just like, okay, this is a filler chapter. But at least it feels like a somewhat lot. Like, if you need to find filler... You just make the bombing run longer. I guess that's fine.
0: Yeah, and that, that's fine. And so on this on this bombing run, we we, talk, we get to an important part, I think, in the game, um, in which you have to turn off the sun lamps. And this is this is a stark difference between the remake and the original. The original, when you are in the slums, there is no sunlight. You don't get to see Midgar with uh, with natural light because you're completely enclosed by the plate. Now, this is this is phenomenally important because it's it's showing you the level of oppression that these people live under the 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 conditions that they uh that they have to experience the inhuman conditions and uh it makes you really hate Shinra and you think you think yeah maybe i would commit a terrorism to like save these people from their from their dark fate in this game you see the sun all the fucking time the slums are as lit up as as anywhere else Except that there are also sunlamps, but you don't see them from the ground. You only see them when you go on this mission. And to get from, like, point A to point B, you have to turn off the sunlamps and, like, divert power uh, to various elevators, which is weird, but whatever. It's a, it's a plot thing. But Tifa has this moment right at the beginning where she's like, we have to, we have to turn off the sun for these people. We have to literally take their light away. You know, which is not the case because we've seen the sunlight, and it w- that wasn't coming from sun lamps. It was just you can see outside, so that, that that kind of falls flat immediately. And then Barrett is like, "We're going to blow up the reactors that power all these things. We're going to turn them off anyway. Just do it now. It's just a little bit early." And you're like, "This is a f- it, l- let's take let's take f- the conceit and say that these sun lamps do represent all, all the sunlight that these people get. It they're, it's literally the sun in the sky for them, and we are there to destroy that." in ostensibly an effort to save them from some greater threat. A threat that they will not be grateful that we save them from, right? This is a really, really interesting thing. This is finally a section where somebody can question your motives and your actions as Avalanche. I got so excited when I heard them say that. It is never talked about again. That is it. Not even another line. Tifa... Immediately, She doesn't even, like, talk back to Barrett. Barrett's like, ah, oh, we're going to do it anyway. And Tifa's like, okay. And they just move on with their day. And we will never hear about this again. And that, that is what I'm talking about in this game. It's constantly setting up it what should be interesting points and then dropping them immediately and
1: never speaking about them. It's like they had a rubric of what was, like, acceptable plot, you know development right it's like well you need to bring up like a motivation for jesse and they do the bare minimum like it's like they're turning in their assignment of just like i said the exact things i was supposed to do yeah but you have to like to be an engaging narrative you have to expand on it you have to have more to say than just say well there are consequences it's like, okay, well, how are these character's dealing with these consequences. Are we going to see these consequences? And the most common defense I've seen of this is just, well, they're going to talk about it later in other games. And it's like, well, that's not acceptable storytelling, in my opinion. No. You can't just have a character dealing with something they did seven years later and whenever freaking Final Fantasy VII III remake comes out, which is probably about where this section would come up. Um, because there is a section in the original game where Barrett deals with the death of that, like, the responsibility that he feels over the death of his fellow Avalanche members. Yeah. And it's way later in the game, but it's not that way later to the players who played the game because it was one game. Because you don't have to wait literally years. Like, we don't have a date for the second remake, and if they only did six hours now, we have no idea how long it will go. No. And so... People are assuming there's going to be three of them. And so when you I think it is an unfair defense to say, well, they they took one section of the game, but you felt like it was a complete game, except for all of the interesting points weren't necessarily covered in depth because it's only the first game. You can't it can't be a complete game and none of the plot points go anywhere because you assume other games will do it. Exactly.
0: You know, it, it's 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 really like a catch twenty two. You know, if if they do something wrong, well, they're going to fix it in the next game, and if they do something right. It was because this game was a work of genius. And you just can't have it both ways.
1: And this, I think this also demonstrates how Tifa doesn't seem to have any character motivation whatsoever. This is the closest we get almost where she says, well, we're turning off the lights for the people. And the Barrett's like, ah, don't worry about it. And that's kind of her whole character, or lack thereof character, is at best she says the plot out loud. Like literally exposition character. Just to say we're doing this. And someone else goes, let me explain that to you. We had some character moment with her where they said she kind of wanted out of being Avalanche. And then Cloud's like, I'll help you by going on another Avalanche bombing run. And that also doesn't develop anymore. Nope. Right? Like, she doesn't actually... Feel anything, or have any motivation, or have a reason she's doing anything. At the least, they showed a sick Jesse dad to kind of imply why she's an avalanche. We have no idea why Tifa's helping Avalanche. She just—just just, this is her friends, and they're like, if you know, if your friends all told you to blow up a bridge, would you blow up a bridge too? Like, is that what's going on here? I don't understand.
0: Yeah, it's it's unclear. um and it will not become more clear because from this point on, Tifa has no character. Like, she she almost had a character in the beginning, um, but from this point forward, she is exclusively there to voice the events you're seeing on screen.
1: And I think I personally have argued that all the women in this game are there to just be different people. Cloud, You can roleplay in your harem anime where Cloud is the lead because she has no personality, she has no point. I literally call her Tofu Lockhart because (laughs) she just lacks flavor. They know they don't have to do anything with Tifa, so they didn't, right? They have to do something with Jessica because she's not there, but they know people are going to like Tifa regardless, so they're just not going to put the effort. It feels like almost everything, all the choices are based on, the again, the bare minimum they can do to get by.
0: And so, uh, we move forward and um, Heidegger eventually shows up. Like, we fight a bunch of dudes, we fight a bunch of monsters, and Heidegger eventually shows up and is like, haha, I... I've got a boss fight for you. You guys thought you were getting away, but I've got a boss fight in store. Look, it's this big, it's this big thing, you know? And Joy, you were particularly incensed by this, um, I think fairly, so I want you to describe this bit.
1: This bombing run has felt very similar to the first bombing run, where you do a dungeon, which is fine, it's an RPG, and then you get to the boss. And so you get to the end, and Heidegger announces the boss, and you're like, sweet. The boss fights are the fun part of the game. And Heidegger shows up, says you're on national television, um, or Midgard television. Uh, I don't know if they're a nation or not. <laughs> uh, and says, everyone is watching you. Say hi! You know, but in a Bender voice, I can't do. <laughs> and so you're like, okay, I'm prepared for the boss fight. You heal up, you walk into the next room. And it's just like a room with a computer and a bunch of dudes. And you're like, okay, I guess he's not here but he should be soon. So, you beat everyone in the room. And then they say, hey, can you find a key card to put in the computer to disable something in the boss fight? And then you find it in the same place and you do it. And they're like, do you want to disable this? And you say yes. And then you do that four times. Yeah, literally four times. And that's what they do every time. They make a mechanic. So it's like a pretty simple mechanic. Like, make the boss fight easier by looking for this stuff and putting it in the computer. Which, again... Doesn't make a lot of flavor sense, but the main problem with it, other than it just not being that fun of a thing to do, because every time you enter a room, you fight objectively paper tissue guards. Like, you just press fucking triple slash or whatever you use in this game, and they just fall to pieces. Yeah. And then you have to look for a key card on the same box every time, and then read a bunch of computer models on what the fuck you want to disable. And it doesn't really mean anything, because you fought the boss fight. You're just like, that sounds... Yeah, they're like- just like, D- do you want the boss to have not
0: big bombs? And you're like, yeah, I guess. I don't want that.
1: And it's on national television. Everyone would change the channel. They're like, look at these terrorists! Why it's- don't you send more guards to stop them? It's like, we'll eventually get to the boss. Like, it just... It- the guards are in the next room.
0: We have to wait for them to... Sabotage our monster.
1: Yeah, and like, it's also four rooms full of guards, just p- pack them in one room. Yeah. Right? You don't have to go kill Bill style, right? Where you <laughs> go one at a time at guy with the giant sword. Also, this will come up later because they're on national television and there's no more distinctive group of looking people in the fucking game. <laughs> one guy is the only black guy with a giant gun on his hand, the other walks exclusively around with a giant sword, and the other one is dressed like Tifa. Everyone would recognize these people. But you go, it takes, they announce the boss fight, and then it's supposed to be dramatic, and if you just walked down and you did the boss fight, it would actually feel like something. But it no joke takes over 30 minutes to get to the air buster, to finally start the fight. And I remember when we were doing it, because stuff. even more stuff kept delaying. Like, Cloud has one of his classic, holds his head and sees Sephiroth, and... <laughs> Ross kept putting down his controller and then picking it up, and then something would happen. to be like, I guess I'm not fighting him yet. And it's like, they just hype up this boss fight with everything imaginable. And then you fight it, and it's also objectively not fun.
0: Yeah. So in in my experience with this boss fight, uh, I got what we call Zing locked. Um, Zing is a spell from Dragon Quest. It's basically Phoenix Town, right? So the Airbuster, in his second phase... Uh, like flies away from everybody, so he's really far away. So the only person that can hit him is Barrett because he's the only one with long range. And uh, my Barrett died, and then uh, because no one else is actually hitting anybody, they're not generating uh, ATB bars, which means they're not um, able to use items because items require ATB. So Barrett dies. Nobody has uh, a resurrect. I only have Phoenix down, so I have to like switch to somebody else and run around in a circle for a while and try not to die. Uh, until I get a Phoenix down, and then I resurrect Barrett, and then he dot, because he resurrects with low health, and I can't give... nobody. Still nobody has an ATB bar, so I can't use a healing potion, and nobody has, like, a uh, Cure spell, which also requires ATB. Barrett just, like, he resurrects with low health, and then just dies instantly. And I do that for about 10 minutes straight, while the boss is, like, really far away from me, and nobody can fight except Barrett, And it's just unbearably frustrating. And you finally... Get And it's still not even hard. Like, I didn't struggle with the fight. It just took forever. Because Barrett was dead, and there was literally nothing
1: I could do about it. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of times... To- you know, we haven't talked a lot about the uh, game mechanics yet. And there's a couple of things that, like, we both mostly like the combat system. But one of the big glaring weaknesses, I think, of the combat system is it's pretty much not fun to not be Cloud or Tifa. Because Barrett's mechanic is you hold the triangle button. <laughs> or the square button or whatever it is. And I think it's you hold the square button and then sometimes you press the triangle button which is your overcharge shot. Yeah. And like, yeah, you can cast spells but like it's everyone can cast spells so it doesn't feel unique. So like the the core building up your ATP meter is just unfun. Where slashing stuff and dodging with Cloud is actually kind of fun. Setting up teeth as Chi is actually kind of fun. But Barrett and then later Aerith just kind of stand from a distance and just Press one button over and over again, so you can watch your ATB meter fill up, and it turns the ATB meter from being a thing that you manage into a chore that you wait for. And it also, in my opinion, makes all of the CC way more frustrating. Yeah. Because there's times where someone gets stunned, and you're just like, you just have to switch to a character who's not fun to play, and then wait thirty seconds so you can go back to doing the combat system. So I think. Maybe half the boss fights are pretty good. Yeah. Maybe That's maybe too high, that's maybe too low. I really don't, I really haven't counted them in order. But there's too many fights like Airbuster where they spend the 45 minutes telling you you're going to fight them. And then there's literally at least five minutes of just Barrett shooting and then Tifa and Cloud being like, so, uh... What have you been up to lately? You know, like just just feeling like you're doing nothing, and it, if you don't feel control, and you don't. It's not interesting. It's not hard. You're not like what what other you know what tech I can do with my materia to make this fight easier. It's just like it's just time consuming.
0: So the second bombing run ends. Uh, you defeat Airbuster. Shinra talks about his evil plan. He blows up the bomb and blames it on you on national television. And you got to get out of the plant that's that's exploding, so uh, it ends up that Cloud is that you barely get out, but Cloud's like hanging from a bridge. Uh, and this is you know this is classic uh, from from the first game. Cloud falls off the off the reactor down into the slums, and he's going to crash through the he's going to crash through the roof of Aerith's church, and that's where we're going to meet Aerith, right? So, is at this point we are starting to be able to predict the game because we're at, literally as he's hanging there we're. It's, classic, it's this classic idea of like, of, like, how did Cloud fall that far and survive by, like, falling on a hard uh, ground where, where just because he fell into flowers? And so we're like, I bet the Plot Ghosts catch him, right? And he starts falling, and there's Plot Ghosts, and they literally catch him on the way down um, and, and
1: allow him to, like, more gently fall through the roof, I guess. And it's also rough because as the Plot Ghosts catch him, they show fucking Sephiroth and Zack. Now, if you are new to Final Fantasy you're like, why did Cla- Cloud dye his hair? You just have no <laughs> idea who the fuck that is. Who's this guy? And it's completely pointless, and you just see, and it's just like pointless transition to remind you you're playing Final Fantasy, and Nomura loves Sephiroth and Zack. This is also when Ross pointed out that either Sephiroth or Zack, it doesn't matter, is his nobody, because Nomura also made Kingdom Hearts, and he's up his own ass. He has to constantly just make the same game over and over again. Um, But we actually have a section that I like, the one section of this game that I like. I think Ross likes more sections than I do, but this is the one thing I actually like, which is the early era stuff when you fall in the church. Yes. The one of the reasons I like it is because we actually see what the game's strengths are employed better. So earlier in the game, we constantly just have Jesse just being in love with Cloud, because Jesse's big and strong, and there's no payoff for that other than kind of fulfilling player fantasies. But with Aerith, it actually feels like it fits. You know, she's a, a girl in this scary Midgar, and she's just overwhelmingly bright and happy. And she kind of brings out the softer side of Cloud, because Cloud's just kind of a dick to everyone. This is one of the first sections where Cloud sometimes isn't a dick. Not all the time, but sometimes he isn't a dick. And so when she does a scene like, uh, you be my bodyguard, I'll pay you in one day, it comes off as innocent and cute instead of overly pandering to the harem aspect of the game. It's like, do you want to date Tifa? Do you want to date Aerith? Do you want to date Jesse? That is just kind of dripping in the early game that to me I feels gross and, and, and not very plot focused. Yeah. I think this this part of the game employs all of our, the best drinks. We have a good soundtrack that already exists, and Eris' theme really helps contrast what we've been doing on the bombing runs. Like, we fall here, we fall in this church, it's like the one part of the game that looks pretty. Like this whole game has looked, in my opinion, super ugly and bland, but we see the flowerbed, we see the church, it just, it's the life you're looking for the game. It's the life picking through Midgar, which is a theme in the original game.
0: Yeah, and it's lit- Yeah, it's literally the point of the church, you know? Yeah. Um Aerith is, is connected to the livestream and everything, and you know, the whole point the whole reason you're blowing up these reactors is to like save the planet and stuff, and Aerith is literally
1: this like this pocket of of life in this lifeless world. And also, the other characters we've seen, like Tifa, they have just negatively developed. They've made her worse than she was in the original game. Aerith is, in my opinion, other than arguably Barrett, the one main character who the game added something to. I did not care that much for Aerith when I played the original game that much. But this game, they make her personality actually better. Until a point in the game, they decide to, to to cut her personality on the table. Yeah. But she's fun. Like, that's the thing I think the game needed. Is the game just doesn't have fun. Cloud never has fun. He's never playful. You don't really see the fun in Avalanche. It just all overwhelmingly is focused on Cloud, Plot Ghost, the same fate, the same overly unimportant things that the original game wasn't even about. Whereas it's so interesting, in my opinion, to see kind of, well, these are the people that you would literally, they don't even talk about it, but they should be. These are the people that you would hurt by blowing up these reactors. Like she carved out her life for herself in Midgar and it is not a terrible life. Albeit, she is the one house in Midgard that is way bigger than everyone else in the slums. <laughs> she lives in a weird slum mansion where everyone else lives in, like, literally buckets.
0: Yeah. But the, the pacing of this chapter is particularly good. It, we, we, we haven't talked about it much here, but um, the game likes to make you slow walk almost constantly. Every time you're doing anything that's not, like, specifically a combat, you're probably walking slowly through a hallway um, or shimming through a crevice or crawling under some rubble uh, because pacing. Um, and so, when you first meet Aerith, well, after you get out of the church, uh, there's, like, a section where you walk around. You have to, like, walk with Aerith to the slums. And it's, like, it, you move slowly, and it's actually nice because they're just having a conversation. And it's finally the only time I think the game has good pacing.
1: Um, because, you know, one of the sta- staple of the more modern Final Fantasies, I think, is we have enough, like, technology to have banter while we walk. Right, we've had it in 13 and 15 and now now 7 Remake. Where while you walk, you can actually do character development without stopping the game to have a full cutscene. Earlier in the game, like the slow walking you talked about, the the way they would use it is have Biggs be like, and then Jesse wanted to be a dancer. And you're like, okay, that's not interesting. I'd rather just walk forward at this point. Yeah. I don't really... I've already read that she wants to be a dancer. You're not adding anything. You're not personality. You're just pointlessly expositing... Expositing. expositing, You're pointlessly expositing. Whereas when you escape the church, the part what Ross was talking about is, again, visually engaging. uh, Has kind of you learning about Aerith, a character you just met. It has Cloud kind of acting a little different. And it feels like an interactive cutscene. Where all of the slow walking actually feels like just just intentionally slowing you down intentionally slowing you down Yeah, because
0: there's nothing nothing's happening so you just you're just moving slow and you know it. you're viscerally aware of it at all times and so this is the only time in the game I think I think the pacing is actually well there's two times in the game I think the pacing is pretty good but one's much later and so the other part about the church that that, that's particularly good really about Aerith's chapter in general is uh, you get to meet the Turks for the first time Reno shows up and has an excellent boss fight a truly fun boss fight in the church against reno and you get you like get your limit multiple times against him and stuff and he's he's actually uh kind of hard like he's harder than any boss he fought so far and it's just it's just downright fun to fight reno he's such a fun interesting character um, he's got a bunch of one-liners he, he's like a bad guy but he's a he's he's uh fun to listen to and fun to talk to and he's a bad guy but he's a cool guy you know and then you've escaped to the back of the church. Uh, and this is this was a moment we were both uh, unsure about because in the in the original game you have to do like this barrel mini game that's not fun. In this one you have to like crawl slowly across the rafters. Uh, you hang from... not crawl, you hang from the rafters and you have to slowly awkwardly move. And this this shouldn't be the case in in modern gaming. There's so many game like since games like Assassin's Creed exist, there's no reason that you have to slowly move in a, uh, in a single cardinal direction and awkwardly turn into another cardinal direction and move around on rafters like that. It is egregious how long and how boring that is. And the Turks are like just shooting at you on the ground, and they basically can't hurt you. It's just, everything good that Reno sets up right before that is completely
1: lost in the actual escape from the church. Also, I think you forgot the most uh, egregious part of that, which is already egregious in itself, is you beat Reno and you're going to go out the front of the church and ghosts drag you in the back because these oh fake ghosts God, you're right. literally are like you got to play the barrel mini game. Oh fuck, there's no barrel mini game. Play another mini game that somehow works. <laughs> That's not the barrel mini game. Yeah. The ghosts are like,
0: "Ah, oh, you es- you're escaping the wrong direction." Like, "What what are you doing?" You didn't care about anything else, but you you care that we didn't play the barrel mini game. Come on! And,
1: and it's so weird, because, again, this is, like, the best section of the game, and it still has, like, just an egregious thing thrown in the middle. Because the good thing about Aerith and the Turks and all that stuff is you get, like, this western song, and it feels... It, like, it gets you into the character. You feel more like... Clouds a cowboy for the first time. The yeah. way they use the music, right? You know, someone's coming into the saloon in the church, you know, and then you're there to protect. And then you just they just throw ghost in it for no reason. It isn't thematic. It isn't interesting. They just thought it would look cool if ghosts were swirling around the church. It, it, and it it takes you out. In the, the very least, we go back to the slow walking section we've already referenced, where that's actually a cool pacing stuff, but every time the game does something good, it's like it doesn't understand why it was good. Like, it literally can't comprehend what is interesting and fun, and what is play the slowest monkey bar minigame. Yeah, it
0: always seems like they hit on fun by accident.
1: Yeah. So, this is the point where I think, man, maybe the game just starts off slow. You know, this is still early in the plot of the Midgar section. Maybe the game finds its footing here. Yeah, and and there are a couple things that continue to be good. Like obviously, we talked about how Reno's great. The walking is good, and the side quests that we didn't really talk about, but were objectively garbage, um, were a little bit better in this chapter. Not so much what you did, but at least there was some character development. There's a part where you're helping the children uh, fight frogs or rats because that's all you ever do. But when you start the side quest. You, you know, the idea is you're a mercenary and you're trying to get money in the town and that's, you raise your fame for the future. That's how Tifa pitches to you. So if you help people out, more people will pay for your services. The kids are like, ah, oh, we can't afford you, Cloud. And he's like, I'll do it for one gill. And they're all like, what, really? And they're all excited. And it's like the first time Cloud is like willingly helping someone.
0: Yeah, this is, the, this is the first time we've had any kind of character development with Cloud. Because they, like, normally he'd just be like, sorry kids, I only work for money. But these kids are like, we really need help, and if if Cloud turns them down, like they'll actually be in danger because they they have to go like fight a big frog, uh, like a really powerful frog, and so Cloud's like, he can't get rid of his his gruff guy persona, but he has to become a little softer, and he's becoming softer because he's hanging out with Aerith and he's seeing her, he's seeing her be a good person, and it's I guess rubbing off on him. So yeah, he's like he's like, I'll do it, you know, I'll do it for one gill, and they're like, ah we'll we'll definitely pay you and he's like all right you know and so he's trying to be tough but he's also trying to be kind and it's like you're like oh Aerith is a good character cloud's developing the pacing's not bad side quests are a little shit but at the same time uh you just got a new party member with Aerith, so you're like "Eh, just fight some rats i guess and learn how to play
1: like okay okay." you know and go help the kids yeah, it's it's a it's a reasonable choice to make. Even like the whole side quest section would be tribute work because you could only do the side quest in the chapter, and then they throw six at you or more at a time. So that is just a fundamental problem as a side quest. But as the application of the side quests go, it was one of the better ones because at least we have character development. Though, like everything, they have a scene like that, and then they have a scene where you help an old man uh, get to his wife's grave or something, and then when you're done. You have to return the great key. Doesn't really matter. It's dumb and pointless. But he's like, can you return this key for me? And he goes, I'll do it for 10,000 gil to the old man. And the flavor of it is he's trying to convince the old man to, like, work out and be healthy and not rot his old age, right? But he just comes off like a dick again. And the man was just like, Jesus Christ, man. Kids is the... And, like, he just rants because he's just so upset that the... Cloud is being so heartless, even though it's supposed to be disguised, as him being helpful. And, like, you can just have him be helpful. You can just have a section where he sees why Aeris's way is better. Yeah. Right? Because one of the things I think about with the Aeris stuff is she is courageous with also being nice. She's not afraid of the Turks, when she kind of should be. Right? I mean, you don't really, you know, you as Cloud don't understand the backstory. But you see that you can be like, a brave character, but still also just be a kind-hearted person like Eris. And I like to think that Cloud sees the value in that. But it's immediately ruined because they have to throw in some scene where he's just overwhelmingly kind of shitty about something.
0: Yeah. Spoilers,
1: this shit never comes up again. Like, this is the most development we'll ever get out of Cloud. Yeah, Cloud actively regresses. Yeah, he will. Again, every time the game does something, it regresses backwards. So one of the things I think a lot of, I think one of my big kind of criticisms of the game is they have the tools, they have no idea how to execute them. So for a good a tool they have is, graphics are technically amazing. Yeah. Everyone's face, like, Aris's, like whole face stuff looks insane. like yeah. it's Actually, I, I can't think of a better... Like, Cloud in, in, in all their faces. Yeah, everyone has the best
0: character models. Cloud's swords, like, showing the materia. I guess everybody's weapons, like, show the material
1: that you equip onto mm-hmm. them. It looks amazing. It looks incredible. But they make the environments look worse than they did in the original game, in my opinion. When you go through the slums in Final Fantasy VII original, you know, it is just dirt and stuff, but you see more, like, shacks, right? You see kind of, like flavor built in what the models actually look like. Like oh these houses are literally made from junk.
0: Yeah. If that makes sense. And they play with uh they play with the lighting a lot. They it's a lot of like it's a lot of uh, like good- deep shadows and things like that in the in the first game. And in this game it's just it's one
1: pale color of brown, you know, yeah. everywhere. And all the NPCs look the exact same. And I mean, there's like six NPCs that they use like the whole game. Yeah, and they're heavily
0: them. repeated. Like you can see the same person sitting on the on like the same bench.
1: Yeah, and at least the Sector Six, which is where Eris is from, looks slightly better than Sector Seven. Be- but it's like there's one fucking tunnel made out of like a cinder block tube or whatever. Yeah, and you're like, okay, that's kind of personality. But the whole slums are in one giant hallway, like literally the whole game of when you're in the underbelly of the city is just one hallway of the same gray. And none of the NPCs have any personality. Like, at the very least, when you play the old games and you talk to random stuff, they said more interesting things. They're just here to just be like, did you hear that they're a terrorist? You know, like, just, expo- you know, just restating the plot that you already knew, right? When you have the potential to make the slums actually feel like they're in. They're yeah. Right? Because there's value to the slums to Aerith. I think that's a big thing is is established that Aerith likes her life here. And I just don't think they show why she would do that. And they just... Uh, uh, me and Ross have both seen a lot of people that they say that the world feels big and I just don't understand how. I, the world felt so claustrophobic and small to me. It was yeah. insane. And, and that's not even going into the freaking number of crevices they make you crawl to load the areas that just become overwhelmingly tedious it sounds like we're being kind of overwhelmingly negative for literally the best section of the game you have the two best boss fights we didn't really talk about rude but it's another turk it's just fun scene that you know it's storytelling boss fights right the I Airbus doesn't rude. tell a story right what i did love rude and yeah i did love you know there's a part where like his glasses break and he just puts on another <laughs> he one <and> he literally <laughs>
0: has another pair of glasses yeah, on
1: it's kind of the personality yeah. i'm looking for in the game if that makes yes. sense and then we're going to a part that's pretty iconic in the whole Midgar section in both games. That I feel like we're gonna be the most negative about.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. This, um, we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about Wall Market. And Wall Market is, I, everyone in, in I've ever heard talk about this game thinks Wall Market is the best part of the game. And I think we universally think it's um, over, o- overwhelmingly the worst part of the game.
1: It's officially when I'm just like, if Ross said out loud, it's like, wow, this game is now, we're at the inredeemable part. Yeah. I,
0: I literally would have stopped playing in Wall Market. And- Hi everyone, this is Future Ross here. Uh, I didn't feel I did a very good job of this the first time, so I'm adding this later. This is a trigger warning. We're going to be discussing a lot of sexual assault and uh, sex trafficking. So, if you can't listen to that sort of thing, uh, I'm very sorry. And you can skip ahead to roughly the 145 mark.
1: So, after a section of just overwhelmingly innocence, I mean, right before you go to Walmart, you're literally on a playground with Aerith talking about her path. Like, it's just a childlike innocence. Yeah. We go into the Las Vegas of Midgard, the Dead of Sin. Um, you literally were in front of Sector 7, you could just continue the plot. And I know this is the original game, but I also don't think it should be in the original game. This is kind of a critique of both games, in my opinion. I don't think Wall Market needs to exist. But Tifa is literally in, like, a Chocobo-drawn... Carriage. Carriage. Like, she's Beauty and the Beast being carted off to the Castle of Evil. Yeah. Yeah, and... She's dressed overwhelmingly, revealingly, which is a choice you actually... Like, the one choice that matters in the game is what Tifa dresses like, because of course it is. Yeah,
0: there's a few times they let you make choices, but those choices never matter because you always get the same cutscene no matter what you say. Um, except for this one time where Tifa's like, Cloud, how do you think I should dress? And you're you're given, like, three options, which are, like, mature or exotic, yeah, um, which is horribly offensive. Because um, exotic is uh, you dress... Uh, like a Chinese person. Um, and mature is you, you dress in a, in a fucking nightgown. So, it, it, the choice you make there to, uh, will change what outfit, what, what sexy outfit Tifa's wearing. So, Tifa's in, intentionally, um, been captured so that she can go extract information from this, uh, from this guy named Don Corneo. So, Don Corneo is a mob boss, uh, and a rapist and a murderer. Uh, he employs three people that collect young women for him and bring them to his palace that he can uh, rape them and have the other ones, I guess, murdered and raped by his
1: his um, subordinates until he gets bored of it. And they also murder the people that he just raped. Yeah, which they say very explicitly. Yeah, he's got a he's got
0: a dungeon. He's he's got a lever that where the floor falls out in his room and it just ends up in the sewers. With a big monster, so th- you can imagine that's uh, what happens to the women that go into Don Corneo's palace. Uh, and so Tifa is going there to extract information because Don Corneo is evil; therefore, he is connected to Shinra. And uh, our mission now is to like save Tifa. And you would think, well, Don Corneo is the evil piece of shit, and we know Tifa's gonna be uh, in his palace. We should just bust in, right? Yeah. Like, obviously, we're, I mean, we're already terrorists. That's all we do is bust in places and fuck shit up, right? No,
1: we're not gonna do that. And this is another example that keeps happening where the game is like, here's something really pressing. A good example is you're about to fight an Airbuster boss fight and you're just gonna spend forever getting to that point and just be doing so much other stuff that you literally forget while you're there in the first place. Because they added a bunch of stuff to Wall Market where you literally have to talk to the... Literal freaking pimps that Don Canera has that approve of people, and they're supposed to be likable characters.
0: Yeah, they're supposed to be interesting characters because you spend your entire time in Wall Market dealing with them and doing side quests for them. They're like, oh, we can't, we can't put you in, into Don Corneo's palace. I've already, I've already sent people there, and you're like, you're like, oh, please help us. And they're like, well, do a bunch of side quests for us. And they're supposed to be fun and interesting. You do like coliseum fights and stuff. You do, you a do dancing the dancing minigame <laughs> Yeah, you do. You do the dancing mini game and the honeybee, which um, you should look up on, on YouTube. It's it's a, 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 actually great visually um, to see. Um, you do a bunch of stuff, but um, for Joey, me at least, it was it was all uh, completely undercut by the fact that one we on a, we seem to be on a deadline, right? Like Tifa's in trouble. We need to help her. Why are we doing dancing minigames right now? Why are we, why are we uh, working out in the gay gym? Why are we fighting in a coliseum? You know? uh, and then two, all of these people are sex traffickers that we're working for.
1: A, like, ridiculously unredeemable job. Yes. Like, literally the worst thing you can possibly be. I mean, I guess we're terrorists, but they're yeah. fucking sex traffickers. We're at least eco-terrorists. You yeah, we are at least tr- believe that we're helping the world a thing that we want to explore. These are just bad people. And we're working for them without thought. Like, we're having fun. And, and again, the danger of these scenes, the pressing nature of it could just be done if you were in Wall Market for a bit and then Tifa showed up. And I understand that the original game, that's what drags you to Wall Market. But you also didn't spend an hour in Wall Market. You just have to write the game a little bit differently. Like, you could be doing the stuff in Wall Market, but it's not exclusively to trick sex traffickers into helping you. You can just do stuff in Walmart and they not be sex traffickers and they contribute to the plot some way and just write it differently. They write other stuff differently. They wrote him going in the second bombing run differently, but instead they have to put a time limit and then just make you forget about it because, you know, you're just having a jolly old time.
0: Yeah, it's just a fun old time. And I wanna be clear that these these characters, they didn't exist in the original game. These were all these were all added in this game. So they they actively thought um, a part of the original game that, that was you know Don Corneo's uh, rape dungeon, um, they thought, well, let's leave that in and let's dramatically expand on that concept. And that's offensive to, to me and it should be offensive to everyone. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are gonna be apologetic about this. They're gonna they're gonna say, oh, it's just a game, or oh, it's in the original game, but like one, it shouldn't be. And two, you shouldn't be so
1: comfortable with it. And I think there's there's actually, like, a bunch. It's, like, hard to break down exactly the levels and the types of things that are offensive. One thing, Walmart is supposed to be a denizen in almost everyone is queer-coded. Yeah. Like, everyone, like, the guy in the honeybee in is clearly, you know, a gay archetype. So is everyone at the gym, you know? And you, and everyone has this sort of, like, met. it has an implicit message that um, people who are you know different sexually live in the land of the deviants where everyone serves a literal sex rapist that we just are implicitly cool with and it just sends such a weird and awkward message and it's it just turns like everything like this is the most life we have in the game and all of it is just this stupid den of sin that doesn't say anything no one seems to care tifa shows no concern about what Don Corneo's doing about the danger that she's placed at what the implications of what you're doing, this is the time where Tifa and Aerith are having the most fun because you're going on a dancing quest and you're you're doing just silly side games. Uh, Cloud is in a dress. But literally no one but Don Corneo is is meant to be felt like a villain. And Don Corneo is comedic relief. And I think that's kind of one of my big problems with this whole section. Is when you're in the freaking sex dungeon where you literally see, like, straight up sex torture devices, but you get to Don Corneo, he literally laughs like he's fucking a boss nast from episode one of Star Wars. Like, Hee! sorry, it's actually Scooby Doo. <laughs> and he's, like, wiggling his jowls and supposed to be goofy. And you're like, oh, rapist, we're going to beat you easily, even though you constantly get away and commit all these crimes. And we're just going to have you as, like, a fun side thing. And the other thing that grosses me out about this whole section is so much of this game comes off like a dating simulator. And it feels like another situation to put the girls in different sort of, a different fetish. And that fetish being rape cosplay, for lack of a better term. And... Uh, it just feels really aggressive because when you're down in the dungeon, it's like the time you can literally get the girls to like spin for you or something. Yeah. So
0: what what happens is, um, you do all these side quests for, uh, for the sex traffickers, right? And then you finally you get Cloud and address and you finally get into uh, Don Corneo's palace. They take you up to a room. It's you and you and Aerith, right? You they take you up to a room and they they close the door and you're like, oh, what are we supposed to do? Where's Don Corneo? And then gas fills the room and you're like. Like, oh, man, did he did he see through our plot? Like, did he see us coming and he's he's gassed us and now he's, like, captured us? And then you wake up with Tifa in a torture chamber. And you realize that this is standard procedure. You're, the women are taken to his house and then gassed and put in a torture chamber. And then he selects which one he wants to rape. And which one he wants to give to his goons to rape and then presumably murder. Um, Because he just goes about his normal day. He hasn't hasn't figured you out. He's just... This is just what he does. This is how you get through Don Corneo's palace. And then he picks uh, whoever he thinks is prettiest. And the other two are sent um, to his goons. And then you beat the shit out of everybody. You just kick the shit out of everybody in the house... And you beat your way out of there. It and it's so frustrating because you're like, I've been in I've been in Walmart for like two hours doing a bunch of side quests, just feeling horrible and gross the entire time, constantly wondering, why can't I just bust in there? And what do you do? You just bust out. You just kick everyone's ass and leave. And it's like insanity how much how much they manage to waste your time, how much they manage to to gross me out. And then at the end you don't even get any satisfaction of like kicking Don Corneo's ass because he just pulls a lever and you fall through the floor. And that did happen in the first game. I expected it, but it's like even worse because you've spent so much more time. working in the first game is like a few minutes. You you do like one side quest um, to 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 get in there to get Cloud an address and you get in there. And that's homophobic as it is, but yeah, yeah, it's a bad side it's like not fun in the other game. No, it's not it's fun. It's just but it's, it's short. Yeah, it's shorter. And so, you spend all this time just to not really accomplish anything. You get information that Shinra's going to blow up the plate uh, that hangs over the entire district. And then he drops you into the sewers. And I was like, I was seethingly mad. When I got into the... Oh, Sorry, to get back to what you said. This is why I got on this on this rant. When you get into the torture dungeon, um, in this game, Tifa and Aerith stand on either side of the room. Still in the torture dungeon on either side of the torture implements there's large there's like a big rack behind tifa that you hang people from and and hurt them um and you can if you if you talk to one of the girls in the room they just do some animation they're like oh cloud and they do like some sexy animation and you can just stay there as long as you want and have these girls just do animations in this rape torture dungeon and it is the sickest thing I've ever seen in a video game. It, it chilled me to the bone. I hated it. This is the point where you can utilize their character models in any way you want. <laughs> and it's the worst thing imaginable. Because you know what you know what they want you to do. So, I literally said to Joey, if I wasn't doing this for research, if I wasn't specifically playing this game to do, to do a podcast, I would quit. I would stop playing this game right now. I wish I. I wish no money had been given to this game. This is
1: horrible, and that's like, it's really I think actually hard to like tackle all the problems with it, because on one side, I think one of the big things we're kind of talking about now is using rape to be a fetish in the dating sim of your game, right? Yes. Like that just feels gross. So I feel like there's like a lot of layers or whatever to why all the different things the wall market is. There's the the rape fetishizing thing. There's uh, queer-coded, everything's queer-coded and also bad. But it bothers me so much that characters like Tifa show no concern whatsoever. And if you would argue it's just because they're brave, there's literally just a very kind of long, random conversation where you have to go into a men's restroom to sneak in Summer and Shinra, and Tifa is so concerned about it. It is the thing that she is most worried about in the game. I don't know if it's a joke, I don't know if it's a weird sexualized thing, but it's it's nothing, it doesn't feel like, it's not funny, it's, it's not whatever. And she should be more concerned about the rapist than going into a men's restroom. Yeah. It's just absurd. And the fact that that is like the most Tifa ever argues or says anything about going into a men's restroom where the rest of the game she's just kind of passively being pulled along in the plot, even though you should be really upset that there is a rapist dungeon that affects tons of people. Like, you're a a terrorist group helping out, supposed to be helping out the little guy in some ways. This is a perfect person that you could just murder. Exactly. Yeah. And Um. and I, I think there like, there is a fun section in Wall Market, which is the dance. Yeah, the dance is fun. Which again, I think is undercut because the guy's literally a sex trafficker and we just have to be cool with that. And also, the gameplay for the dance actually isn't fun. It just looks fun.
0: No, it's super not fun to play. Like, I thought it was gonna be interesting because I'd seen the honeybee before I played, and I was like, I was very excited for it. But honestly, I spent my whole time like making sure I was I was hitting my DDR buttons properly. Instead of, like, being able to watch the cutscene, it kind of felt like I was watching uh 4 again, where, like, one, you know, it, anybody watching the game gets to, like, see the cool fight scene with, uh, with Raiden and Vamp, and every, whoever's playing the game has to, like, really concentrate on shooting
1: Rexes with their, uh, with their rocket launcher. It sucks. So, other than the Coliseum and the dance, that's the only parts of Wall Market I think are entertaining at all. There's literally a whole side quest where you follow around Johnny, the most annoying character in the world, and it's just like, it's just you chasing him around town and picking shit up. When you're in the freaking sex dungeon part, it's mostly really long cutscenes that feel like they're supposed to be funny. Yeah, I don't know if there's I don't, I, I, really don't know the intention. It's not dramatic, because Don Cordeo is a fucking Scooby-Doo cartoon. It's you don't feel tension because you're getting information that, like... It just seems weird that the only person you can get information from is 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 rape mafia boss. Yeah. it just It's not, like, adequately explained. He, it's just kind of an excuse to be here.
0: Yeah, it's... You know, we think it's because he's, like, the mafia of the area. So he's just, like, involved in crime and therefore with Shinra.
1: Yeah, so but Shinra it, just informs them of their going on. Yeah,
0: Shinra's just, like, telling him this this unrelated guy that they're they're going to drop the plate. Like, a thing they really shouldn't be telling anyone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and yet they are. And so it's very weird that we have to get this information from Don first. It's also
1: pointless information because you don't get there in time. So, you like, everything you did would have been better served if you just never walked into Walmart. and you're like, Tifa, no, let's just not go to Walmart.
0: Yeah, if Tifa had consulted anybody before, like, going off on her own to get kidnapped by a rapist we wouldn't have had to deal with any of that. We could have saved the plate, you know. But that's that's plot stuff, you know. Fine. We didn't save the plate. Um Don Corneo drops us into a hole and we go into the sewers. That's the last that's the last we're going to be talking about Wall Market, and the problems therein.
1: Now we feel like you have now received a pretty full-length podcast at this point. You've really experienced, you know, what a normal podcast would feel like. But you might be thinking you're only a little over halfway through the game. Well, that is for Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two coming at some point to a place near you. <laughs> now, it will only cost you $60 a podcast. <laughs> Go to any place where you can pay for... Po- That's not People don't pay for podcasts. They don't pay for podcasts. <laughs> okay, but um, for real, we do have to split this podcast up into two parts because we talked way too long. I think there's just a lot to say, and we haven't even got into any of the what the hell are you thinking, Namora stuff? Uh, but there is just a lot of problems in the first half of the game, and it somehow gets worse in the second half of the game. We're only halfway through the game, and
0: I am not going to do a full wrap-up of it halfway through, but just to summarize some things that I think are coalescing at this point, it's very clear, or it's at least becoming very clear, that the game developers, that EA and Namora, are interested in making sort of two kinds of stories. One... They want to be very faithful to Final Fantasy VII. And two, they want to make their own new thing. And to do that, they've sort of just mashed those things together. And what we're getting is sort of neither one nor the other. The problem is that this has sort of destroyed the characters and the pacing and the storytelling of the game. It's... it's we, we've got a, a bunch of awkward side quests, a bunch of weird dialogue characters that have not developed really in any way. We've had some we've had some good moments, right? But those moments are just trying to be reminiscent of the original game, but at the same time those moments are still being punctuated by like plot ghosts and and long, long episodes of filler. And we don't really understand what the game is trying to do at this point. And unfortunately, these are problems that are only going to get worse as the game goes forward. They're trying to sort of be a role-playing game, but um, they've removed the roles, right? And as a playing game, it's doing all right, nah, arguably. Uh, but as a as an actual role-playing game where you try to embody a character like Cloud, we don't really have anything. We just have a lot of pointless side quests and filler and awkward moments and, frankly, terrible uh, expansions on ideas from the old game. So... It's unclear what they're trying to do, uh, and I don't think that's going to be
1: fixed later on. And the last thing I would say is, it feels like with anything that kind of works in this game, other than, again, the one chapter I like at this point, which is the Aerith chapter, where I felt like they actually did use their own ideas to make her character a little bit better, uh, is it... Everything that they're actually doing is coasting off a of success of the previous game. Like, Cloud doesn't show you any reason for you to like Cloud. I find him super unlikable, but people already like Cloud and they're like, wow, Cloud's here. You know, it's like the same thing that the Star Wars movies do, where it's like, you already like Stormtroopers in the Empire and all that stuff, so just like this one because it's more of that. And I just it just comes off transparently lazy to me.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of uh as as red letter media would put it i know what that is yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of uh you you remember final fantasy VII, or you don't and you only know it by reputation as like the greatest game of all time um uh, so play this game and you know if you don't like it you're going to be in the minority and therefore don't talk about how much you don't like it but that's going to be our episode thanks for listening our next episode's going to be out uh, next week every time we break up these podcasts we're going to try to do them We're going to try to iterate them every week, otherwise we'll be releasing monthly, the first of every month. The next episode is going to deal with uh, Shinra, Nomura's uh, weird mindset in this game, and especially the ending, which I know is uh, the thing most people want to talk about in uh, the remake. So, that being said, uh, we have a Twitter. Follow us on at BossDoor4. That's BossDoor and the letter 4
1: don't have other social media four is a number what <laughs> cut that you said the letter four <laughs> the letter four. it's my first day
0: <laughs> anyway thanks for listening <laughs>